Out here in the perimeter, there are no stars. Out here, we is stoned, immaculate. Once again, thank you ever so much, Jim. There you go. This is David Eastall. This is the C86 show. Another special. I was going through the archives and um, came across this interview that I did with Arthur Brown, I do believe, three years ago, just before he, I think it was at the Holt Festival that he was coming. And um, being very keen and excited at this uh, idea that uh, he was in the area, I should do an interview. So this is it. Um, I'm just going to... um, Well, I'm not going to break it up into two bits. It's half an hour of quality chat with Mr. Brown. So what I'm going to do before the interview, I'll play your favourite and mine to get the party rolling. And then Mr. Brown and me in conversation. Anyway, this is Fire. beautiful man that is arthur brown that is a track titled fire 
I'll see if you needed to know that. And uh, this is David Eastall, The C86 Show. This is the interview I did with Arthur Brown, I do believe, a few years ago, um, just before he was at the, I do think, the Holt Festival. And he'd also been at the in the Czech Republic doing a tour. And this is the first part of the interview, and the only part, um, where we were just talking about his journey and him returning to the UK. And this is it. Arthur, it's over to you now. Uh, we were doing a, a gig... Um, about four hours drive from uh, Prague. Right. It was a nice uh, festival, and um, yeah, it was wonderful. Uh, you know, when we arrived, uh, we'd left England with the rather cold weather. We got out, it was 35 degrees, baking hot, <laughs> and... Uh, and then there, there were kind of thunderstorms and pouring rain that started. We we were topping the bill. And we, uh, it started just after our set, so everything was perfect. Wow. The gods were happy for you, weren't they? On that, day? they were. They were very. So look, you're going to be coming to the Holt Festival very soon, aren't you? In fact, probably yes. in about a month's time. So what what will you be bringing to the uh, event? Well, I shall bring some clothes to wear. Um, I, I'll bring a few musicians, I think. Excellent. <laughs> so look, cause, because you're in that sort of wonderful world of you're getting into your mid-70s now, which is obviously you must be feeling really chuffed with it, and, um, yeah. and, and still on stage kind of giving it everything. You must be feeling really good. I am actually, you know, and we're we're just about to um, record a new album, so we, you know, it just keeps coming out. So that's, it's a lovely place to be because, you know, personally, I've got a, a good stretch of material across fifty years, and uh, it, I'm, I was fortunate to come along at a particular junction that. You know that period of music is still very popular, so yes. um, I can draw on that. And then there's the new stuff as well. And because um, you know we made certain uh, inroads in music and certain uh, trailblazing things, I can play those, and people love to hear it. And then I can stick my new stuff and. They listen to that as well, so I'm in a, a really fortunate position. Yeah, because you obviously came around, um, you know, sort of came into our consciousness during the sort of, I suppose, the counterculture period of the 60s, didn't you? So you were sort yes. of, you were very much surfing that zeitgeist. Yeah, indeed. And uh, it was, I mean, as far as I was concerned, um, I had just come back from an unexpected success in Paris and uh, in the Montmartre, Montmartre uh, district, uh, which is sort of strip clubs, uh, transvestite bars, blah, blah, blah. And it's where all the artists used to go to paint and write and things. And, um, yeah, so I, I actually was wanting to open a club multimedia club but I couldn't get the money up so uh, came up with a multimedia band and for me it, it, it 
happened that the underground came along and they liked that. Yeah. Uh, and that was... Uh, so I've, I've just continued doing that what in whatever form, really. Well, it's quite interesting because obviously in 67, it was the Summer of Love, they had a massive... Uh, get together which was in sort of San Francisco in the January and then sort of July time there was the 14 hour Technicolor dream event that was at the Alley Pally so so you were sort of at that period was sort of emerging yourself weren't you? Yeah we we went over to America in 67 and played that was before fire and everything um, played you know with uh, a lot of the big names of the day and of course you know got to talk to all the uh you know Jim Morrison's Jeff Snare planes uh, and whatever name you can think of yeah. uh, and that was a wonderful opening of uh oh gosh you know there's all these people doing all these wonderful creative things and having new visions of life and you know uh that 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 were not fitting in with what was going on politically and everything there, and uh, that led led to a lot of changes. In fact, even though they tried to squash it all, <laughs> yes, because actually, because you were one of the members on that bill, weren't you? Which I always think is probably where the 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 sort of the counterculture, the summer of love '67, came into its absolutely peak. And then probably after that, things started to sort of crumble, as they always do with any movement. But can you remember much of that particular evening with the 14-hour Technicolor Dream at the Alley Pally? Well, it, it was a strange one because, um, you know, there were a lot of things going on. Uh, there was, uh, you know, helter-skelter stuff going on in in the, the hallway. Um, there was um, all kinds of... Uh, bands playing that, and some of them had not been part of the underground. They they'd sort of become underground because that was the fashion. Yes. Um, uh, there was certainly, you know, it was where, uh, as you say, the the underground suddenly became uh, in in the public consciousness, and uh, then it got progressively watered down from there on um but that's the point of it really is is that it, it sows seeds yeah. and um that was where the the media picked it up and turned you know and then suddenly everybody was a hippie <laughs> <laughs> you know before that we were just artists working together yes. so like oh hippie okay and and what is a hippie? And so people all over the provinces were trying it out. Um, but it was nevertheless a very, very great explosion of creativity. I thought it was, uh, a lot of it was to do with, you know, the there's nothing wrong with duty, but we'd had lots of years of duty and fighting and wars and all of that, and everybody just, wanted to find a, a breather and um, and so the, the ideas that were espoused in the underground suddenly became, oh, here's a totally different way to look at life. Great. And it wasn't necessarily, um, although, you know, the, the American uh, 
underground flowered quite early, but we were, although we had some Americans over here that helped it, it was a very English yeah, I, phenomenon. I, I always thought the psychedelic um, difference between America and Britain was was much different because you had, say, the Grateful Dead and Jefferson Airplane on one side and the Grateful Dead have got a quite a bluesy, bluegrass kind of folk country background. But there was a sort of structure to their kind of extended long sets, whereas the Pink Floyds of this world on this side of the channel, on this side of the Atlantic, was, was much more chaotic and almost much more of a noise. Yes, and, uh, but at the same time, because it was from England, I remember when we, we got over there in 67, and uh, they said, okay, how, how long is your set? And we said, 45 minutes, because that's what you played in England. Yeah. And they said, what? <laughs> you know, we play for three and a half hours a night. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so there was a, a totally different... Uh, expectation because in England you expected to have sort of points and, and you had a set that had a specific form that was geared to what was perceived as the, the threshold of of attention of people. After 45 minutes people were just, they couldn't keep their mind on it. No. In America you expect to be stoned and uh, so you could play for three and a half hours because people would dip in and out of the performance as you did it. Mm. And also, and, well, I, I would imagine as well, with that period of time, with, with the amount of LSD going around, most people <laughs> couldn't remember most of those events that we look back and go, wow, what was it like? And they go, I was there, but perhaps no recollection of that. I was, I was tripping somewhere and could have been doing anything. And yes, John Lennon was there, but I, you know, who, who knows? You know, yeah, <laughs> yes, absolutely. And, and the, 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 the bands were good vanguards of, uh, you know, taking the ideas out into areas way beyond where they, they originated. But um, the, the actual experience itself didn't depend on the you know the giant names mm. they they put together the festivals and things which of course were media um opportunities and things and 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 were in fact part of the undoing of the whole underground in one sense yeah because as soon as it got big like that big money came in and you found a lot of the uh the so-called underground people were no longer able to resist. That's <laughs> <laughs> the evil, evil quality that is money, I guess, isn't it? But it was also quite interesting because in this country we had people like the performance artist Bruce Lacey, who li yeah. you know lived in this area, and you obviously knew him because he was bringing in his own quality of a lot of those performance art pieces as well. Uh, which, yeah. which also kind of came into a lot of the music and also a lot of the happenings that were happen you know, were occurring at the same time. Well, that was the point, you know, and I mean, he influenced, obviously, uh, uh, the Bonzo Dogs people and, and it, anybody who was into visual art. Um, and and he wasn't, he, I don't think he considered himself ever, you know, a hippie or anything like that. He, he was just someone who wanted to explore. Mm. And it, the whole thing was that suddenly exploration became the thing. Yeah. You know, people wanted to 
to take LSD. They wanted to have a look at, uh, uh, you well, know, whatever in, else. Well, living in community was another one, the utopia, yeah. the idea of, of somehow sort of being able to live in these kind of places and not have any hierarchy was also explored at that particular time, which obviously we can all look back on and sort of roll our eyes. But, the, you know, at the time, it must have felt like this is possible. I, it, it, it did feel like it, and as things slowly unravel now, I mean, after all, some of the dreams that came out in that period were that the giant computers that were one on the West Coast and one on the East Coast would become available for everybody to be able to have a, a, a like a miniaturized computer um, and then everybody would be linked. And, of course, that's the Internet. That was a vision that came yeah. at that time, which has actually happened, even though the, the people uh, who it came through were, were kind of dispossessed by the, uh, uh, the economic people. Um, their idea was taken over and became a source of making money. And the idea that we are not going to be able to have hierarchical structures. Uh, maybe if you think, when I, was a, when I just went to Czech Republic and they were saying, I said, oh, yeah, the EU, maybe we, we're not going to be able to be allowed to go back in England, <laughs> <laughs> you know, when we get back off the plane. And they said, oh, yeah, we, we've been looking at all of that, of course. And um, you have to remember, and these are Czech people telling me, uh, that London can secede from England and that um, there's a million people in England who uh, want to secede because they didn't, don't think the vote represents them. Yeah. The, the spirit that, that, that came out of the underground is still there, and now it's happening on a mainstream level, and things, things are just going to change beyond belief. Mm. And is... I don't think that the, the idea of uh, non-hierarchical structures, I don't think it's died. I think it's actually growing and ha getting impulse because we're forced to look at the fact that we're... Um, interdependent with all the natural forms on this earth. There was a hope that science was going to, you know, be able to give us everything and that we were going to have food that was just uh, produced. And, of course, we are beginning to produce printed food and all of that. But um, the, the mental things that go with it uh, have not proved... Um, totally accurate. No. So we, we're left with being a natural form uh, that that came up with logical thinking as the answer to everything, and it isn't. So we're, we're going to have to learn very quickly, hopefully, that the, um, there's a necessary uh, undoing of this hierarchical way of living. Well, it's a very sort of interesting but slightly scary time as well, isn't it? I mean, with just just kind of one final point. I mean, with with your sort of journey in sort of music and and, and art, do you are there many people that you still sort of cross paths in a good way with? You know, like your you know Barry Miles or or Joe Boyd and people like that, who were all part of that sort of UFO club and I International Times. Yeah, well, partly because the um, for instance, I've just been approached to. 
uh, talk on a um, committee about Glastonbury. I've been just asked to uh, be involved in a, um, a discussion of, now how would you best put it? Well, you know, just of all the, the the themes that came up in the underground. Yeah. And so you meet, obviously, on all those committees, you meet all those people, the ones that are still, you know, Jeff Dexter and people that are still um, uh, ticking and still full of a bit of revolt. <laughs> <laughs> and, of course, you know, the musicians, uh, some of them are still out there doing it and still vital. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm guessing this is probably the last chance, without being too morbid, of being able to sort of put all this down and to get some sort of dialogue and some sort of idea of, of what happened. Because we still look back to the 60s so much, don't we? We do. Well, it was in a moment when the creative spirit suddenly became the commercial Thing. You know, it, it, it was pop, but it was not just uh, manufactured. It was people coming together. After all, you know, if you look at the underground, the number of different styles of music that came out of there was just phenomenal. And the, the number of cool, really excellent bands, you know, um, all doing different things. It, that was what was important about it. It was the, the, well, we can take this form, the pop music form, which was, you know, the three-minute form to begin with, two-and-a-half-minute form, and we can just stretch it. And then, suddenly, the stretching of it became what was mass media, you know, it was fantastic. Well, in a way, it was quite interesting in the sense that you put down this blueprint and it hasn't really changed for 50 years. So it, there hasn't been that many different things. I mean, obviously, there's the dance, the hip-hop, trip, you know, trip-hop, you know, ambient rave stuff, but actually the, the rock-pop world has still sort of got the blueprint that you created back in the 60s, you know, and I'm talking after, the, you know, the Beatles, the Stones, the Hendrix, the counterculture, because not so much the manufacturer bands. So that that in itself is quite interesting, because obviously if you went back five or ten years, there wasn't an awful lot of music with that attitude and that quality. No, and and maybe the, the reason for that is that it's a true form, you know, a creative form, it, and people like, you know, if you've got a uh, a, a way of doing things, it, it becomes a root. Yeah. And, uh, you know, for our culture, to, to be able to live in a culture that is uh, where a, a natural human being is made of all the stuff that plants and the rest of the world are, and yet we have this technology that can lift us well away from that. But it can also be twisted round so that it, it expresses our natural self. And I think, you know, that's what began to happen. And, and, and a part of that is, is all the expressions of how, you, how everybody belongs to the same universe. And, uh, you know, that there's something in the heart that you can't lay a finger on. Yes. And, and that's, that's at the root of all that music. 
Yes. I mean, basically, we're looking at one holistic love fest, aren't we? To, to bring us forward into the next, you know, the next period of our lives. We're looking at what? Uh, one holistic love fest, I think, is what we need ah. at the moment, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and uh, perhaps, you know, because it became, as it often does at points in history, a word that suddenly, you know, oh... God, the love generation. Oh, God, no. You know, perhaps we need to redefine it. <laughs> yes. Well, I think in a way, you know, when we had Timothy Leary saying, tune in, turn on, drop out, you know, that was interpreted in a lot of different ways, wasn't it? It was looked upon, yes. you know, what did he really mean and what do we read into it? But there is parts of it which are, are still, I think, potentially quite relevant today. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, I think because underneath it is the true fact that... Um, uh, everything in the universe depends on everything else, and that when when uh, they come up with all the modern scientific theories in um, you know in physics, underneath it, that's what they're they're finding, and that's what was underlying all the the creativity of the underground. Yes. God, it's it's just so much to think about, isn't it? Our brains, our, I don't know if our brains can cope anymore. It's too no, much. thank goodness. Let's find another way of dealing with life. <laughs> well, look, um, Arthur, thank you ever so much for talking to me. It's been great. I mean, obviously, I'm sort of, I'm a much younger, not much younger than now, but I mean, I'm in my 50s. But obviously, I miss that world, but I was obsessed with it when I was growing up. So having ah. sort of um, been interested, because obviously, Bruce Lacey lived quite locally and, and you know, over the years I've, I've interviewed quite a few people like um barry miles and various kind of folk from this sort of 60s period and and also oh god i forgot his name a bloke who did a lot of producing for the early pink floyd and nick drake oh joe, joe boy yes yeah so you know it's been interesting hearing their take on it and i suppose actually one thing that was always interesting that barry miles once said because i said you know what happened you know at the end of the 60s because it all sort of puttered out a bit and though the 70s got a bad press it has been slightly actually it wasn't that bad and i said you know what happened to your you know group and and he said i think we just were all tired by the end of the 60s we all just needed to go and sleep and i suppose that was probably also quite right well, it, it was, but what was the phenomenon in the 70s was this whole uh, spiritual opening that came through a lot of the music, including the Beatles, you know, which was one of the greatest mass marketing things, um, suddenly became, there were all these people going off and spending from, you know, three months to six months, going on uh, courses with meditation, temple dance, all, all of these things. And um, then that was the early 70s, and then the financial situation changed. And so they suddenly the people weren't willing to do that anymore. Yeah. And they, they the shorter courses were instigated. And then, you know, then it was like, oh, okay, the people who'd been young were now had families and everything, had to earn money. But in their minds were still, and their hearts were still that same thing. And you'll find that uh, from that generation, a lot of them were still 
uh, still bitten with the same thing as as the underground yeah. had had had. And then you know, in came uh, Thatcherism, which kind of um, it did a disservice, I think. But it was you know it was a different thing. But it it, it meant that. Gradually, money became the focus and judge of everything, yes. rather than quality. And uh, so, uh, yeah. So then, but then, you know, it, it, it underneath it, you you got people who would uh, sort of have become CEOs or be in business for years, and suddenly they they realised, oh, gosh. I remember thinking about all of these things and we got submerged in this rat race, this money. And so they suddenly give it up and go off and t taking up farming and stuff. And, and there are a lot of cases of that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it was, and, it was quite interesting. A few years ago, probably five or ten years ago, um, one evening, we, me and my partner... Um, we had this evening where we invite. We had uh, there was Bruce Lacey who came round with his partner and Richard Barnes, who was another guy who was part of that whole Albion Fair um, movement in the seventies, and he did the book The Sun in the East, which documented about the East Anglian fairs. And we've and between us, we had quite a few films. There was a particular one about the Barsham fairs, and Bruce Lacey had a few about the Barsham fairs. And we had an evening round our house, kind of watching them. And this was about seventy five. We were watching, and and Richard Barnes, who was the editor of The Sun in the East book said, God, you know, this was quite interesting. These medieval fairs, fairs where everyone was dressing up in medieval clothes and reenacting all these things that happened 100 years ago, you know, 100 miles down the road in London, punk was just beginning. And, and there was that moment, I thought, yeah, absolutely, that cultural thing of people coming out of London to live in the countryside to grow vegetables for a few years and become potters, which a lot of people did. And then yeah. in London, there was this other movement of people who were just kind of wanting, like the Sex Pistols, the, the Clash, and people were also happening. And it was quite an interesting juxtaposition that, that w when we were watching these Part of me was like, oh, this is lovely. And part of me is thinking, it's so divorced as well. It was it was a quite an interest in how do you marry those all those things together? Yeah, well, I, how do you? <laughs> Indeed. But, uh, I mean, and if you stretch it a bit further, uh, you've got, like, uh, Rick Astley's current hit, yes. you know. Uh, and and that's precisely the, the 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 moment at which you wake up and go, oh, ha -ha. <laughs> let me have a listen to some of that other stuff, because I seem to have forgotten what I was actually intending to do all these years, you know. Yeah. And uh, so it's it's always there, and the, the forms are different, you know. In in the eighties and nineties, it was uh, ecstasy was the stuff that people. We're, we're trying to get back to this more primal vision. After all, you know, I've nothing against education uh, if it's real education. But to me, education is producing a balanced, harmonious, if you like, human being. Uh, we've lost that altogether. And our education is quotas. Uh, you know, they've been cutting down on the arts, which always uh, is the area where questions come up of, um, you know, 
what is, what's the right best way for humans to relate what is society what is you know what what's the reason for living and doing things um and uh so uh if there is a a pulse underneath that of like no i i don't really feel that that is genuine there's there's a, a bottling up that can happen by education by society and by all the things that we're told are true which people are nowadays that basically cynical <laughs> because any time they're told something somebody else is telling them something else and and it, you in the end you get to think god it's all a load of twaddle <laughs> <laughs> and uh so that pulse comes out and in different times it takes different shapes and at, and at certain times the society is so repressive that it doesn't you know break the mold like you know um pussy riot in russia yeah uh it's it's held it's contained at other times like the 60s it just goes boing and that uh, in england only happened i think because uh harold wilson decided that the way for england out of its quagmire uh, of uh, poverty and uh, etc was to produce a the the mini car and b pop music was wide open to be explored exploited financially yeah. <laughs> you know so the, the opportunities come out of everywhere and they always will and that was me in conversation with the legendary Arthur Brown and i just saw that that was recorded uh, that interview was recorded on the 27th of June, 2016. Quality chat. Anyway, thank you, Arthur, for that. And um, yes, this has been David Eastall, The C86 Show. If you want to contact me, you can via Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Just go to at C86 Show. And uh, yes, keep it positive and groovy. Otherwise, don't bother. Also, all these shows have been podcasts. So you can find them on Spotify, iTunes, Podbean and Mixcloud. I think that's the magic for. Anyway, I'll leave you with another track by Arthur Brown. Have a great week. This is I Put a Spell on You.
Oh, 